Hey, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 15, my interview with Olivia Custodio. Olivia has her BFA in vocal performance from Carnegie Mellon University and her master's in music from the University of Utah. As a performer, she's appeared in numerous operas, musicals, and plays, and studied improv comedy at The Second City in Chicago. She has begun to dabble in the world of being a playwright, and her first short play, Driver's License, Please, premiered at Plan B Theatre Company in the spring of 2019. Olivia currently serves as the director of individual giving at Utah Symphony Utah Opera, and also served as the director of development at Salt Lake Acting Company. Okay, enjoy it. Sometimes art feels like magic, pure, visionary, and sometimes it's brought to you in part by focus groups and algorithms. And the makers of art are no different. We're creatives, sure, but we're also salespeople. We need imagination and imitation. We need deep, meaningful connections, but we also have to network. Yep, even if you're an introvert. And that's my point. Balancing vulnerability with veneer is tricky, and it's a struggle we don't often share. So let's share. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. This episode of Artifice is brought to you by Blue Chic. Blue Chic creates WordPress website themes and design templates that have helped tens of thousands of entrepreneurs build a beautiful online presence. For those of us who are professional creatives, it's so important to have a website that looks and feels as artful as the art you make. But we all know it's easier said than done. When I found Blue Chic a few years ago, I was blown away by their gorgeous themes and purchased mine without hesitation. I had absolutely no web design experience or skills, but Blue Chic's amazing documentation empowered me to build a site I can really be proud of. Head to www.bluchic.com to see which theme works best for you and use promo code BCARTIFICE for 10% off your purchase today. Bothering you? No, is it not like at all. From, okay, I know I'm short, so like I can't tell if it's like blinding. <laughs> no, that is okay. And then yeah, I'm just get be so comfy. I know, in be here. comfy, and you can put your feet on this, yes. or you can kick oh it away. God, I best. like to because I have short legs. I love having like a reclined. I position. love it too. Oh, I've, and so I, like great. I said, I feel like my feet never touch like the ground all the way, or if they do, I have to like <gasps> lean forward. So I've never known that life. I'm so sad <laughs> about it. Yeah, I don't know. I guess there's like always pros and cons. Mm-hmm. The grass is always greener. Well, I think one thing we probably have in common is like clothes don't fit. <sighs> don't even get me started. You have to be like so do. exactly in the middle. A whole freaking podcast about that. Bear, you're on that. <laughs> and then you probably know, but these mics are like super close range. So okay. get it however... <gasps> And I know some people like are cool with a boom stand and some people are like, how do I do this? So I don't want to assume this is, oh, these are very close. Okay. Yeah. And you can probably like, I have mine like under the chair. Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah. Okay. Is that good? This is nice. Is that better? I feel very relaxed. Um, I've only had one person come in who like insisted on holding the mic. And I that was seems like, weird. Why? I feel like I'm about to give like a concert if that's happening. You no, know, it, it, that's how I feel too. I feel like this makes me feel like I'm just chatting. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited to talk to you. Yay, me too. This is awesome. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited that you've like, that you're, like most of the people that I've talked to are like, now what is it that you're doing? But like, <laughs> I don't have to explain. You already know. Yes, um, I know. So yeah, so let's get started. Um, so I like to kind of go in like 
three parts. Um, but, you know, if you want to go on a tangent, I will go with you. <laughs> okay. I will go there with you. You're giving um, me free reign. Yes. This is scary. Yeah. And, you know, anything like art related, even if it's tangentially art related, you know, or anything you related is great. Cool. So um, I like to start at the beginning um, just because I'm interested in like, where does creativity come from in our lives? We all have such different, but also sometimes very similar stories. Um, so why don't you tell me about like when you were very little, how did you start being creative? What was the beginning of that like for you? I honestly can't even think of a time when creativity wasn't the main focus of my life. Yeah. Cool. Um, my mom was an actress. Cool. So um, we grew up listening to a lot of musicals and reading Same. constantly and singing and um, <clears throat> watching movies. And it just was such a part of everything. Yeah. It wasn't an extracurricular thing. That's it was awesome. everything. So I was really fortunate in that way. Um, and you know, my dad is, uh, not creative, but he also is an incredible artist randomly. Cool. What <laughs> he, kind of art does he do? He just does pencil sketching, but cool. I mean, they're incredible, but it's not really something that he's fostered over his life. Yeah. Um, but I think, having their support always was so important because yeah. no matter what I wanted to try, they were always on board with it. And awesome. I think that is such the fertile soil from where creativity grows. I think so too. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. I mean, I don't, I definitely didn't have like, I had uh, some support from my family. Like I was in lessons and like, mm -hmm. so I had like, you know, I guess financial support and like, you know, rides. Um, <laughs> but it was very like, there was definitely kind of like this idea in my family that there was a limit of like, how, like it couldn't be more than a hobby. Mm, yeah. I think that's pretty common. You I know? think so too. I think people still think of the acting profession or music or writing or film or TV, everything as, Oh, but what's your real job? Yeah. You know, that stigma still hasn't gone away. Yeah. Um, and so that is, that's really frustrating to hear. Um, you know, I get that question a lot. I think yeah. a lot of artists do. We all do. But um, yeah, having that support, I'm really lucky and I've always known how lucky I am. Yeah. So. So did like, did creativity ever feel like, did you get like stage fright or did you feel like nervous that people would like not like what you made or did you have any of that as a child? No, that's awesome. I really didn't. Um, <laughs> and it's really luckily carried me through to this day. I don't usually get nervous for things or if I do, it's pretty manageable. Like yeah. I've never had to take like medicine before an audition yeah. that I know some people have to do yeah. that. Um, I don't know why I feel really at home on stage and being creative. And it probably has to do with the fact that, you know, that's how I grew up. Yeah. Um, if your parents aren't attaching like kind of self-worth with like approval mm -hmm. of those kinds of things. And, and I imagine if you have parents who have experience 
making things, it could go one of either way, like either way, like yeah. either your parent, either you have more issues and baggage than like other <laughs> artists. If your parents are people who have issues and baggage mm-hmm. or like if your parents have already kind of worked through those things. Yeah. Then maybe it's. Yeah. So they, interesting. They actually had this little song for me. <laughs> They're going to kill me when they listen to this. Um, they had this song. My nickname is Livy. Cause cool. Olivia Cute. and they would always sing like Livy, Livy, you can do it if you put your power to it, which is <laughs> like that. the cutest thing. And that they were just cute. supportive about literally everything. So even though I would get nervous about things and I do still in auditions, like the stakes are very high for me yeah. and I'm always like, am I doing my best? Am I going to get this? What are my chances? Yeah. But I feel really comfortable auditioning and yeah. performing. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I probably have more questions about that later. Um, so in a, in like a home where there's art everywhere and everyone's kind of doing it, um, maybe this is sort of a leading question, but like, did you feel like you were making art or did you feel like there's something different between like what you're doing as a child and what like grownups are doing? That's a really good question. I don't think I ever thought of it as art. I thought of it as just being yeah and performing and it was just a part of who I was I don't think I got into feeling like it was art until I went to college where I major majored in vocal performance yeah um at Carnegie Mellon which is a conservatory so then it's really it felt very highbrow and very like this is art now whereas before it was like storytelling this is something I'm doing and yeah cool yeah um, now, like in retrospect or like kind of now, do you have thoughts about like what art is or like what are the boundaries between like, man, that is such a good question because I feel like we're never experts on anything. And so yeah. for me to judge other people's work and say that is art or that isn't art or, you know, when people go to art museums and they're like, oh, I could do that, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. I just feel like it's a boring thought to have. Yeah, I think. it's just so basic. And I think art can be anything, yeah. really. And I think, you know, we've put, as I said, such a stigma on it of, you know, we make fun of the people who are like super granola, like splattering one drop of paint on a canvas. Mm. But then we also make fun of like opera singers and really high end art. So we're just making fun of like all these different genres have become really stereotyped. And so I don't feel like it's my place to judge art. I just want to experience it and hope that, you know, what I do, people can think of it as art or not, but they're still witnessing it. And I think that's the important part. Yeah. I have had so many people sit in this chair and say something similar. Mm. Um, and, and one, sorry, the thing that they're saying isn't that, but the thing they're saying is like, uh, um, here's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) We all like, I feel like our, those of us that are kind of like just making it in art, like it's our profession. Um, we're like just normal people, of course. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like magical. Most of us fall somewhere in the middle between like this really highbrow academic art and um, like kind of that crunchy, like, yeah. you know, I am the art kind of a thing. Um, and uh, and I feel like there's also judgment for that. Like uh, you need to like 
like there's maybe some expectation that you need to like be mm-hmm. one with something or you need to be like magical in some sort of a way. Yeah. I think that actually was really eye opening for me. Um, I just started writing plays, which is like a whole thing. I'm so excited <laughs> to hear about that. Um, but when I started working with other playwrights and being in the workshops and kind of seeing how these plays come to be, I'm like, oh, they're literally just normal. Yeah. And I held them it's on such a pedestal and I think I under you know I understand why people do that when you experience someone who's playing mm-hmm. a violin concerto like up close it seems so superhuman. Yeah. But then you talk to them 10 minutes later and you're like, "Oh, if I didn't know what you did, I would think you were anyone else." Yeah. And that's still something I find myself like being shocked by yeah. when I meet people who do these incredible things and I'm like, "Oh, you're just literally my next door neighbor, you know? I know. Isn't that amazing? I try to remind my students of that too. I think part of what happens is like, we, we love a Cinderella story, Mm -hmm. I think as like a culture. And we love to imagine that someone just like rose as this prodigy. And we don't like to think about like the hours and hours of practice Mm -hmm. and the, you know, self doubt that that person goes through. But another reason, something I've been thinking a lot about recently I think sometimes like when we get this like judgment between art mediums, which is such a problem Mm -hmm. and like a big part of why I'm interested in this project of like, look, we're all doing the same thing. Like we all, we all, and I totally agree with you. Art is like, it's, it's everything and nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, But I think part of the reason that we get like, you know, we want to draw boundaries and we want to be judgmental about it. um, I think we all are sort of like, burdened by the limited time we have. Mm -hmm. We have to make choices about like what we spend our time on. We can't be good at everything. Um, And I think you can deal with that in kind of a wholehearted way and just be like, yeah, I made the choice not to like study this kind of music or spend more time on this skill. Um, And you can just be like, but that's okay. Like I made these choices and I'm doing this thing. Or you can do what I think so many artists do which is say like whatever I'm working on is the thing that's Mm -hmm. that matters and everything else is worthless and stupid man that really resonates with me I think you know I don't sing opera really anymore and there's so much guilt associated Mm. with that with not singing anymore with not singing and I think we love our boxes and when things don't fit into the boxes it's really challenging. You know, I spent so many years of my life locked in a practice room, you know, translating scores mm-hmm. and learning music and to Trying to get your tongue not to move. Yeah, that <laughs> keep that larynx down. Um, but when I think back on all of those hours, it's been a journey for me to be like, you know what, I'm not actively using that. But it has led to so many other things in my life and being okay with the fact mm-hmm. that I'm not a failure because I didn't become an opera star. I feel that too. Like I have a master's degree in jazz studies and I still sing jazz, but I don't improvise very much. Like Mm -hmm. I think about all the hours that I spent like transcribing Charlie Parker and like memorizing all this like bebop vocabulary that I hardly ever use. But the the truth is like, I don't love it that much, Mm -hmm. but I also get that guilt of like, 
you know, what will people think? And yeah. is it, is it, ha- am I not doing it because I can't do it? Or am I not doing it because I don't want to? Or is it some yeah. combination so of those things? so strange. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any other thoughts about that? Like that weirdness of like, are you in the group? Are you not in the group? Yeah. I think it's a constant state of being, especially for artists who do want to examine a bunch of different mediums. Yeah. Like I never in a million years would have ever thought that I would write a play or, you know, be in musicals where, you know, I recently kind of learned how to belt a little bit more. And I think it's surprising as an artist, the things that the doors that open when you just really stay dedicated to doing what feels right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just is so funny how things fall in your lap, not in the sense of like, you don't have to work hard for it, but the things that do come up when you are ready and willing. Yeah. And I think just having kind of that creative like outlook on your life lets you see possibilities and Mm -hmm. options that maybe you can't see if you're having that like fearful tunnel vision of Mm -hmm. like this is the only thing that matters and I cannot like allow anything else in yeah and also that's how you get that like terrible baggage that Mm -hmm. you then pass on to your students and your children if you have children and yeah, Ooh, it's t- it kind of terrifying. Messy. I yeah. mean, <laughs> artists are known as crazy people for a reason. So there's a lot that comes up with being so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think especially for performing artists, I mean, I think writers definitely deal with it, but, um, you know, I've found even just as I've been trying to like schedule people for this podcast, the writers are a hard people to get a hold of. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess the only writers I really know are playwrights and they seem pretty cool they're in the drama crowd though yeah that's but, true. you know I'm, I mean I'm not trying to uh, I'm here I am making boxes but I, I'm just <laughs> saying people that have time on stage they respond to my email mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know maybe it's like a you have to make your call thing yeah. we're like trained like little doggies to be like yeah no, gotta make, make that deadline because you're selling yourself totally. as a product and you know yes I think there's something very like particularly about being like a performing artist yeah <laughs> we have <laughs> you gotta you you gotta like be super like upfront with like all of your stuff and all your mess and like you you're you're broadcasting and you're kind of wide open but then like you need to be able to keep it in check. Yeah. Like I've talked about this with several people recently, but um, my mom died last year and uh, I had a wedding gig on the day that she died. Oh gosh. It's okay. Actually, it was not, it was really fine. It was really, I kind of like, I've, I mean, I've said this before, but it was kind of a beautiful experience. Like I felt a lot of joy just like being there with those people on like their best day. Mm. It wouldn't have like, it wasn't a surprise. She had been like dying for several days. If it had been a surprise, that would be different. Right. But I went into it thinking like, there's a very good chance this will happen. And I think there's something really like powerful that we learn as performing artists. That's like, you can go like right up to the edge of like those emotions and then say like, this is the line of right now. I think that's a thing that would surprise a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, how as an artist, you can compartmentalize. I was just in spam a lot this past year and I had my appendix out on a Sunday and was back on stage on Wednesday. Yeah. And I don't think anyone in the audience would know that, or, you know, a good friend of mine was performing a show and her mother had like had a stroke that morning. Yeah. And 
people do, I think, going back to my reference, put us on a pedestal and forget that like, oh, there's a lot of crap going on in your life Mm -hmm. right now. And you're still showing up and you're still being open and still being vulnerable. And I think that's um, the really, really impressive thing about actors and performers. I think so too. It's just such a crazy thing that we can do that. Yeah. Such a level of like control. Mm -hmm. It's like mental athletics. It really is. On top of learning all of your lines and your blocking and being open and being in the moment. And totally, it's just the weirdest thing. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think you're right. It's kind of, it's kind of special in this very bizarre way that I think doesn't get talked about very often. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay. So back to your childhood. Yeah. So let's make like, I'd love to kind of like, just have a list of like the kind of skills that you had, um, by the time you were like 18. Okay. What were you kind of, what were you doing? The, I think the first thing that showed up was probably just my personality and being, um, dancing in the living room mm. all the time and like putting on little one person plays. And my dad had a video camera and every single time he would have it on, I'd be like, can we watch me later? <laughs> like I was just like obsessed with it. And he would be trying to film my newborn sister and I'd like pop in and be like, it's me, oh my gosh, you know? I love so it. like yeah. I was that kid. <laughs> um, and then it started manifesting in creative writing. Yeah. I really excelled at that in elementary school and grade school and middle school. Um, I won this thing called power of the pen, which was, um, a creative writing competition. Amazing. And so, I did a lot of that, um, singing, obviously my mom was the music director at our church for pretty much all of my childhood. So I was always in choir and, um, I started taking private voice lessons. Dance was never my forte. Dance (laughs) is hard. It sucks. I mean, people who can dance, I am, I bow down to you. It is incredible. It looks so freeing Mm -hmm. and I know there's so much technique involved, but I'm always like, oh, it's my saddest day. That's another one of those things that like, it, it's about making it look easy, yes. but it's how can, how I barely can like walk down or upstairs. No, me too. <laughs> I'm like, my knees are giving out and I'm 32. Um, Same. But it's, uh, so it started manifesting in that way. And then by the time I was like getting ready to think about college, I was like, I'm going to be a paleontologist. Because I love dinosaurs. I never played with Barbies. It was always dinosaurs. And um, I remember my mom and dad talking and my dad saying, you know, she's just going to be an actress, right? (laughs) And I was like, how dare they? I am going to be a paleontologist. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, but wait, I actually hate science. And I was like, this is not going to work. This isn't going to work out. Be a paleontologist in a movie. Yeah. I wanted to be in Jurassic Park and be like, ah, yes, these velociraptor skeletons. Yeah. But I didn't want to like lay in the hot sun and like do science. Mm -hmm. So um, then I was like, well, damn, they're right. It's going to be singing, I think. Um, And I don't think anyone was surprised. Yeah. how did you get into opera in particular? I, I feel yeah. like I took opera lessons as a young person before I was like, oh my gosh, jazz is a thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know for some teenagers, they'd be like, opera? 
So what was that like for you? It was a weird path because I honestly had never even seen an opera. I had no experience with it. My parents didn't really listen to it at all. We were really a musical theater family. But for me, my voice just always sounded different. Mm -hmm. When I was in choir, um, I already had like some vibrato going on. And, you know, those other kids would get up and like belt their little Annie faces off, you know, and (laughs) I would be like, oh, I don't really sound like that. And so when I started taking voice lessons, the first thing they have you do is start with like the 24 Italian songs, you know, which are kind of the how to learn the techniques of classical singing and proper technique. And so I thought to myself, well, you know, I want to do musical theater, but I feel like I really want to know how to sing well. So I'm going to go for vocal performance instead of musical theater. Um, And also I couldn't dance. So like that was (laughs) that. Um, So when I started auditioning for college and, you know, got in, and went to actually see some operas, I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah. And so I didn't really love it. And I honestly would make fun of it um, all the time. And then when I saw it and understood it, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. this is a cool thing. It is cool. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, did you ever feel like I was listening to, um, do you ever listen to Pete Holmes's podcast? You no. made it weird. I really like it. I've heard of it though. He interviews comedians and actors and musicians. And, you know, I always just feel like, oh my gosh, me too. Yeah. Um, but he was saying something. I've, I've been listening to his book today. Oh. Like I downloaded it this morning and have just been listening to it all day. Um, and he says like when you, when he decided to be a comedian, he felt weird telling his friends like that they, that like what you're saying is like, I think I'm funny enough that you're going to pay me for it. Right. <laughs> and did you feel like as a teenager ever like, study opera like or did you have enough friends that were kind of like also doing that that you just felt like this is what we're doing no I didn't know anyone I don't even know if I'd ever even like talked about opera in my life before I decided to do it um but all of my friends were super supportive and not um surprised they weren't weird about it no they weren't weird about it at all and um I grew up in Ohio which you don't really think of as like (laughs) Knowing about opera Ohio necessarily. like a really big choir place, isn't it? I don't know. Is it? I don't know. I mean, Utah is. I know that. I mean, I feel like music education is strong there. I'm not sure why I think that. I don't know. I mean, Maybe I guess I, have, I like, never... have like enough friends from there from college that it like, yeah. that idea is in my mind. I mean, there were always a lot of performing arts stuff happening. And there were a couple of high schools that had really strong like theater programs and things like that. So maybe you're right. I don't know. I don't know. But, um, yeah, everyone, I mean, there was the whole like, okay, but what are you going to do when you graduate thing? But it wasn't in a, it wasn't, I'm going to put you you down away. Yeah. Right. And when I would come home from college, I mean, everyone, was like, oh my God, how's it going? <laughs> like, awesome. I was kind of, you know, overwhelmed with people always thinking it was the coolest thing. Yeah. But like you said, they don't know about the hours yeah. <laughs> locked in the room. I remember this one semester, like I was really trying to figure out how to get my, my tongue to behave. Mm-hmm. And I would stand like three inches away from a mirror and just like look at my tongue Yep. and just like try to make a, you know, do a thing with my voice and like, troubleshoot those yeah, muscles totally like Been hours there. and hours and hours and hours 
Yeah. I think people don't like believe that those stories are true. No, they think that we're just like outperforming, getting thunderous applause, like living the dream. Or like, have you ever had people say to you like, oh, stop it. You've always been good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're like, I'm sure you don't have have to work very hard for that. I have like video proof that that I did not always know how to do these things. (sighs) I know. (laughs) It is shocking. If they could hear me like trying to figure out proper placement of mixing in my living room yeah they'd be like oh I will never pay to see you (laughs) do anything so it's dirty behind the scenes it really is I remember like the first uh, when Andrew and I got married I was in my the middle of my master's degree and I remember like this weird period of time when we like had just moved in together that I was like I have to practice Mm -hmm. and being like very uncomfortable like yeah I'm always now, like, don't this listen. This isn't going to sound good while I'm working on it. I know. Oh, man. It's weird. I mean, my boyfriend and I own a house together. We've been together almost five years. And when I I would like go downstairs into our guest room and be like, don't listen. <laughs> and then I would like practice. And when I come upstairs, he shows me a recording and it sounds like I'm standing next to the phone. Wow. He's like, how am I not supposed to listen? It's literally so loud. I don't know what to do. So I think... You just have to like get over it at a certain point, but I would never want to practice in front of my parents or, you know, my peers during school. I'd be like, I can't hear them. I can't let them hear me like progressing. God forbid, you know, I I talk about this with my students and like give them like a script to say to like their parents and their siblings. Good. I wish I had had that. I mean, I same. It took me so many years to be like, this isn't supposed to sound good while you're working on it. And I also like, will give them permission to like go in their closet and like sing and like experiment into a pillow. Yeah. Like if you have to make really loud sounds that you think that you're trying to figure out and you're not sure, like it's okay. Yeah. Sing into a pillow until you kind of feel like you're, you're feeling like the muscles are like a little stable. Yeah. And also how dare you family judge my bad sounds? First yeah, of all, you seriously. Know? <laughs> also that it's like, if you're judging all, my bad sounds, you do not deserve to hear my sounds. That's so true. <laughs> I feel that as well. Okay. So is there anything else that you want to talk about? Like the time before you like in earnest, were becoming a professional, any things that were like that you had to kind of like work through or just there doesn't have to be something, but if there is, I want to want to make sure we get it. I don't think so. I mean, yeah, like I said, it was just everything. So it didn't ever feel weird. It just was. Yeah. And you felt free to like explore and like Mm -hmm. try all sorts of things. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um, Okay. So then you're in school, you're studying opera, anything else happening in like those years that like you think has affected in a big way what you're doing now? Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's when I really figured out a lot of things about myself, which I know sounds silly because that's what college is. Um, that's what your twenties are. Yeah. You know, but I think for me, it really, um, I went through a really depressed phase. Mm. Um, and it was the first time in my life where I realized like, oh, I've had anxiety and depression my whole life, mm. and I had no idea that that's what it was. I figured that out when I was like 27. Yeah, like it's, pretty recently. Ugh, oh. Man, it'll like hit you over the head. I need medication for this. Right. <laughs> and I think that part is so important 
to who I'm going to speak just for myself, but who I am as an artist, like knowing that things are going to be harder for you and that you feel things more deeply Mm -hmm. and you experience life in a different way. That whole part, um, is so important, I think. Um, because if you're trying to push away or subdue feelings of anxiety and depression and ignoring that part of Mm -hmm. yourself, but also trying to be a vessel for performance and creativity, like it's just not going to happen. Absolutely. And that was the biggest wake up call in college and beyond for me was that this is who I am. I'm a very emotional person. I feel things really deeply and I cannot apologize for that. And that was a huge awakening for me. That's awesome. I really, I I feel like I'm still kind of figuring that out. I had like some intense perfectionism issues Mm -hmm. and a lot of kind of like, I think I felt a little bit when I first started college, like it was selfish of me to like be a music major. Mm -hmm. Like I had this kind of feeling like I wasn't contributing to society in a way that like was, and like that, that's, it's bullshit. Like that's pure, like that's cultural and family baggage. Yeah, for sure. Um, But, but I get it. (laughs) It definitely took me a really long time to kind of feel unapologetic about, like I spent a lot of time trying to be a machine, Mm. like, being like a a pretty good art machine, but like, you know, I think cutting off a lot of like potential branches of exploration and creativity, you know, just trying to be like very practical. Perfectionism is such a plague. It is so rampant in everything we do. You know, I think that's honestly the reason I stopped singing was that I wanted to act more. Mm. And for me, I felt like the opera world was telling me, no, you get to have perfect technique and then you can like Mm. try to act a little Mm -hmm. bit. And, um, that's how I felt. I don't know, you know what it's like today, but for me, I was like, no, your your teachers and your peers and it can be a moment in time and a moment in a place. And I do think the landscape is changing now, but for me, I was like, listen, I want to tell a story. I want to get up there and act. And if my voice isn't a hundred percent perfect, so be it. But I think for me, that's when I started to feel the disconnect and be like, Oh, I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to have this perfect technique and no one does, but people get closer to other people's versions of perfect. And so for me, that's where I was like, this isn't what I want anymore. Yeah. And I think that perfectionism, we are always so afraid of, every single part of what we're doing and how it's going to be received and really learning to put a damper on that quest for perfection is so hard. Well, I know it's like, you know, people say this all the time, but like, it's just a lie. I mean, art is so subjective. Mm -hmm. And when my students will ask me, like, they'll be like, what do you think? Like, how did I do? Like, do I sound good? I, I like refuse. I'll, I I will not say. Yeah. Um. You know, I'll just be like, well, how did it feel? Uh, how close? I how, remember being so frustrated when my teachers would say that. I never had teachers that did that. Really? I had teachers that told me it was bad or good. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which I think was really damaging to me because it didn't, I didn't think about like what I like. Um. But you know, mm. like did, did you meet your goals? Like did this sound like how you want it to sound? What would you, how would you like to, to move it or shift it. 
Um, I can say like, here's what I think, but like a good or a bad label, Mm. you know, especially with things like technique, like the only people who care about that ultimately are like other singers and teachers. Oh my God. So true. (laughs) So true. And anyone who's not those very small group of people, like they'll never know. Yes. They have no idea. Yes. That's so true. At a certain point, I feel like you just start performing for your peers and like trying to get their approval of like, yes, Mm. she is good. Mm -hmm. And then it's so stupid. <laughs> and then if you're a person who got into it because of that love of storytelling, like I think that's the same thing that happened to me with improv. Mm. Like when you were talking about that, I think I'm drawn to jazz because it's so like, it's very nuanced. It's not a technique heavy like genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you're, if you're looking at vocal jazz, you know, there's something about that like improvisational quality of like, you know, making a melody like unique in kind of this moment in time and what's going on in your day. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm attracted to about it. Like the, the, in the momentness of it, which is very, I think it's a similar feeling that acting is. Mm -hmm. It scratches a similar itch, but the more that it gets about like, you know, nailing these chords or like, yeah, it just, my interest really like wanes. Yeah. Um, and I kind of feel like, maybe I could learn how to do this if I spent all my time on it, but I wouldn't like it. And also maybe I wouldn't be able to do it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I think it's so damaging to be so staunch about things. Like I know even today, I still have a really hard time going to see musicals or anything where they're singing Mm -hmm. because I'm constantly like, oh, well, that tone isn't forward enough, you know, know. and it's obnoxious. I don't want to be sitting there thinking those things, but the perfectionism is like drilled into you that you can't just relax and enjoy a voice. Like some of my favorite singers have voices that are raspy and, you know, I would think like, Oh, vocal damage, you know, but like (laughs) they're performing and they're doing it. And I would be so scared to ever let my voice not sound perfect. Mm -hmm. And it just, and then you get this weird blend of like jealousy and like resentment. It's so gross. Yeah. It really is weird. Um, I think that's really common. I think like fine art painters get that. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that it's just everywhere. You know, like you said, there's kind of like these two ends of the spectrum that are like this super highbrow academia and then like very like, you know, whatever you feel, whatever you see. And like, we've, we're, we are like taught to feel such a disdain and a resentment. Yes. And it's so stupid. Mm-hmm. It's so unproductive. It doesn't serve anything. It doesn't. And I think it just, I don't know. It just feel, fills us up with like conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that being said, of course you're going to see things you don't like, like you're going to see a production you don't like, or you're going to hear a concert that you're like, eh, but I think letting it, permeate like this snobbery of yeah I only want to see xyz I think is frustrating yeah like if the reason you don't like it is that you're like threatened by it right that's an issue right of course (laughs) if the reason you don't like it is because you're like I'm sorry I just meh yeah that's you know I mean I know every time for you I see something and I'm like 
ugh, that was bad. A <laughs> lot of the times it really is jealousy. Like, oh, they're in a show right now and I'm not. Or, yeah. oh, I wish I could just do this full time like that person. You know, yeah. it's always stemming from my own insecurity. Totally. But it doesn't mean I don't still feel like shit about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I joke sometimes that like if I'm like I have to be in like a good mood to listen to like some of my favorite singers because mm. like if I listen to singers that I love so much when I feel like kind of that like icky, yeah, I get too depressed. It is. It's so <laughs> weird. I mean, yeah, I think you said it exactly right. It, it You have to be in a certain mood to like successfully navigate listening to your idols and, you yeah. know, seeing people you really admire on stage and oh my things gosh. like that. It's such an embarrassing thing to say out loud. I know, but we all do it. I'm sure that whoever is listening is like, <laughs> oh, I do that too. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> okay. So I was reading your resume yes. and, and your bio and I'm, I'm so intrigued that you, st- you studied improv comedy. I did. Yeah. Tell me the story of that. How did so, you get there and what was it like? So I was living in Chicago at the time and my mom, as she does, she's usually right about things. She's like, you need to start taking their workshops at Second City. And I was like, no, I don't know. That's just, I don't know. You know, just yeah. trying to talk myself out of it. Um, and so eventually at some point I was like, fine, I need some like creative something in my life. And I signed up for their workshop and it was incredible. I mean, it was just so rewarding. And I only went through two levels um, because I was going to be moving to New York. So I only went through the two levels. Uh, There are, I forget how many levels there are before you can audition for the main stage, which is where they like recruit for SNL Mm -hmm. and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But in that time I was like, oh yeah, okay. I can do this. Like, this is a card that I can play. Like, this is something that I'm good at that comes really naturally for me. And I think that in itself gave me a lot of confidence because coming from the singing world, I'd always wanted to act and, you know, be on stage. But I was like, well, I'm just an opera singer now. Yeah. So that was really eye opening. Um, And they actually asked me to come audition for not a main stage show, but some other project they had going on when I was only in level one. And I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) you know, but that was just such a boost of confidence. And the pattern in my life has really been that when I'm doing the right thing, it feels it's that feeling of just ease. Not that I'm not working hard, but that it's really so comfortable. Like I don't mind working hard. Mm -hmm. I don't mind hours and hours of rehearsal and practice. And it was that feeling for sure. Wow. And I still have my mother and other people saying like, you need to audition for Saturday night live, you know, but you know, people don't understand. You don't just like audition. Yeah. But, um, get like recruited. I know because I listen to all those comedy podcasts. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's such a strange process. Um, But I think... Don't you have to be like invited for an audition? You do, yeah. Yeah. So I love hearing the stories. I'm currently obsessed with A.D. Bryant because of Shrill. Yeah. And um, I was was listening to her story of, you know, how she was recruited. And um, I think comedy has always been a huge part of my life. Like I have always been very quick witted and very creative with comedy. 
And I do think that it is something I wish I could find a way to pursue more, but maybe that's why I'm taking up playwriting. Yeah. Cause I love writing comedies. Um, but not stand-up comedy. I did stand-up comedy once in New York and it went really well, but I was like, no way. Yeah. This is too stressful. Yeah. This is not for me. That kind of like in the moment, like requirement for validation. Like you Oof. really, you really need it. Like if your first couple of jokes aren't getting laughs, like I think about this frequently. Mm-hmm. I, cause I try, I feel like it must be like the hardest I don't know. I just mad props to anyone who's doing it because it is so stressful. And the people who are really good at it can really easily rebound from yeah. like bombed things. But I just think it is the the most direct form of rejection. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like if your first couple of jokes don't land, yeah. like it's got like over unless yeah. you like are impervious to yeah. that like but all the people who like make it big, you know, like the Ellen DeGeneres and they don't like they bomb and they're like, okay. Yeah. And that like doesn't stop them. But yeah. for me, I was like, okay, I killed it. I'm done. I, that's my high this note. High. I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> that's, that's, I have to imagine I wouldn't feel the same if ever I tried that. Yeah. Oof. Um, that's great. I would, I love, um, I love that like, you have a feeling that you want to be doing comedy and like you're, you're looking for a solution. Like mm-hmm. I, I think that that's that type of thinking of like, well, maybe I'll, like I'll write, I'll get into playwriting. That type of thinking I think is one of the biggest ways that like the artists who keep doing art. Um, it's like one of the biggest factors Yeah, of kind of just thinking like, all right, what else can I try? How can I? Yeah. Now that you say that, I'm like, yes, of course. But it's so hard to realize that in the moment, I guess. Well, you know, so much of it, I think, is connecting like the A of like where you are and who you are at this moment and the skill set you have with like this B of like what I want to be. Yeah. And they can look so different and can look like so far apart. And if you're looking for like a direct route, it's so rare that you're going to find that. Oh my God. So true. So thinking like if I bounce around over here for a minute and then maybe I, you know, and and maybe it doesn't always work, but I think if it's going to work, that's how you're doing it. Yeah. And it's not always conscious. Like I'm never like, I'm going to try playwriting now. Like a workshop became available and I was like, okay. Sounds cool. You know, I think it's been the times where I really try to steer my future are the times that I fail miserably, Yeah, you know? And, um, like my dream in life, if any producers are listening, <laughs> is to be on a show like The Office. Like that is yeah. my dream. And I am like, okay, I have my dream. But in the meantime, who knows if I'll ever get there. But in the meantime, I'm just going to do all these things that pop up in my field of vision mm-hmm. because they're interesting and I yeah. want to be doing them. And you never, ever, ever know what something is going to lead mm-hmm. to ever. That's so true. You don't know like what connections you might make. And I, and I don't mean connections in like that kind of like going to a mixer and being like, whose business cards can I get? God, But like really those kind of like deep, like 
you know, spirit to spirit connections, um, little skills, you know, just those tiny things. And people can tell when you're being fake. If you're going after things just to be seen or to be like, Hey, don't forget about me. Like people are going to know they can see through that. So it's like, I really try to show up at things that are interesting to me that I feel like there is a purpose of me going yeah. because nothing feels worse when you know someone's trying to like work I you, know. you know, I, can't do I it. don't ever want to be that. I'm person. really bad at it. I'm like, I'm such a bad liar. Like <laughs> I'm not, I feel like I can, I feel like I can act in so far as like singing contains acting, but like in real life, mm-hmm. I'm not a good manipulator. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's yucky. I mean, even if you could do it, you, I don't, uh, maybe there are people out there who are like, I did it. Ha ha. I can sleep well. Yeah. But I'm like, no, I feel gross now. Yeah. I don't want to just be that schmoozy idiot. Yeah. Who's like, what? Who's going to benefit me? Have you, know? you had experiences where the schmoozy idiot gets opportunities? Oh and my God. Yeah. All the time. How does that feel? How do you, how do you handle it? It really sucks. Um, my friend Natalie and I actually talk about this all the time. It's one of our things where we're always like, oh, that thing. Um, I need to talk about this with someone. Yeah, it's just there are so many people, not necessarily that I personally know, but in the world in general, that you know they're that kind of person and they are really fake, but they keep getting hired and they keep getting all these amazing opportunities. And at a certain point, I'm like, wow, maybe it's just the fact that they are so confident that like, it's just working for Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. I don't know that their intentions are malicious necessarily, but for me and how I operate in my life, like I really do feel like I try to always come from a place of being genuine. So when I can see people who I've had weird interactions with, or that I don't necessarily want to ever hang out with on a regular basis, really succeeding, I'm happy for them, but also like, but I know things about you. And that is just my own insecurities, you know, coming back to that. But Mm. it is a huge part of what happens in our world. You know, there's always going to be someone who is getting booked for things and you have no idea why and they're doing really well. And that's just like their path. I feel so plagued about it. I know it's really hard. And I and I feel like it flirts with that line of like, I don't know, I I'm I'm in a position where like I hire a lot of people. Um, I hire a lot of other artists and I sometimes like I have to really like really look inward and check like am I not hiring this person because like of a real reason Mm -hmm. or am I not hiring them because like I know they're kind of skeevy but like at what point does the skeeviness like make them do less good of a job yeah that's the thing too right is that there are skeezy people who do incredible work but then there are the really genuine open amazing people who want to work hard that don't always get the roles because of XYZ. So it is that strange thing. And I feel like it happens a lot more in film, which I really haven't done too much of, but, um, you know, people can have the worst reputations, but they still get hired. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well I'm out here being a good person and Mm. trying to improve myself. So I know it's one of those myths that I have a hard time dealing with. Like you hear people say like, oh, your reputation is everything. And like, you know, five minutes can ruin like a lifetime of work. And I just feel like for some people. Yeah. Like, for, it really it does happen to some people. Always true. No, but other people it's like, oh, it's fine. 
Yeah. Especially in the world yeah. of social media where mm. people can just mm-hmm. say whatever the hell they want online and then still get gigs left and right. Yeah. And you're like, Ugh. it's very upsetting and it's very bizarre. It is very bizarre, but I just keep reminding myself that the only person I need to be focusing on is me. And not in, well, kind of a selfish way, but also like I can only control me. Yeah. So if I want to have a good reputation, like that's on me. That's and how so, I feel too. Like I just come back to that idea that's like, look, even if that other person is like getting away with behavior that I, with my little like tally report, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh my God. That's a good visual. I um, love that. But like, even if those people are getting away with it, like I'm not going to, right. I know I can't. I'm, I'm not good at it. Oh my God. I know if I've like run two minutes late, I'm like stress sweating. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to be fired. They're going to hate me forever. Same. Or if I like miss like a lyric, I'm like, Oh no. Yeah. There goes Um, my career. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Like just kind of just thinking like, well, that's not going to work for me. So I I better not think about it. It does for me. It does get a little weird sometimes when, when like, I'm looking at like a gig that I need to hire people for. And I'm like, do I like, which person should I hire? You know, like, but also if you have to work directly with them, of course you're going to work with the people that you want to work with who have good reputations. That's true. I, I don't that think are nice. Yeah. If I were a director and I was in charge of casting and some amazingly talented person came in, but I knew that they were an asshole mm-hmm. and had heard from a lot of people that they were shitty to work with, I would not use them. Yeah. I'd much rather give an opportunity to someone who has a great reputation that is going to work hard, you know, any yeah. day of the week. Absolutely. And also just like fostering, like, what does it mean for like our communities? Like, that's something that I've been thinking about a lot this year and kind of lately of like, what can I do to like make my whole community, like my music community, our art community, like how can we make it a place that's like better and more positive and where we trust each other and where we support each other? I will say that Salt Lake though. So I've lived in Columbus, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and New York. And out of all the places I've lived, Salt Lake really does have a different feel. Like this arts community is really unique. And in I'm not a, sure if in it's a good just, way or in a, yeah, in a good way. Cool. And I'm not sure if that's just because it's the smallest community of all the ones mm. I've lived in, except maybe Columbus, but I didn't really do much there. Um, but really people generally are so supportive and yeah. there is so much opportunity and people like to give opportunity here um in a way that like the grind of new york and chicago it's like i don't think you have to like pay for it you have to kind of like earn it through like blood sweat and tears yeah yeah it's pretty special here that's great yeah i i don't know that i've had exactly the same experience but i'm like i'm really glad that that's (laughs) how you're feeling in your community yeah i think and i mean there's always room for improvement for sure but i think I think we're in a place where conversations can be had at least, you know, and growth can be achieved. It's not like, sorry, honey, this is the woman we're always going to cast. Yeah. And like, that's that, you know? Totally. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk now. Let's kind of go into the, into the portion where we're talking about like the hustle, the money making, Mm -hmm. how are you making it work? What's good about it? What's hard about it? Um, And I found that like a good way to maybe start is to just like make a list of like the types of art things you've been paid for. Yeah. Okay. So 
Um, I'm going to count my job because I technically work in the arts. I'm the director of individual giving at Utah Symphony, Utah Opera. Definitely in the arts. Which is essentially my job is to help raise the money to keep the lights on, keep the place running. So that's in the arts. I get paid for that. I get paid when I'm in shows, usually. If there's a show I really want to do that has a stipend of like a hundred bucks, but it's something I really want to do, I'll do it just because it's a passion project. Right. And that's what we, that's what we're doing. Yeah. I I do the same thing. If it's like supporting the arts and it's, if it's something I'm excited about, Mm -hmm. I'll also be like, eh, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah. (laughs) And I've learned to say no, which is a really hard thing for me. Yeah. Um, I have gotten paid to like sing, uh, at weddings or sing, um, in a choir, sometimes Catholic churches. That's the one I'm referencing because that's the one I know they will pay to have more professional singers come in and either cool. like canter a mass or Great. fill in the choir to help the sound a little sure. bit. So I've gotten paid to do that. Um, I've gotten paid to, um, play right now, which that's is amazing. Um, I just signed with TMG, which is a talent agency here in Utah last year. So I've gotten paid to do, um, plus size modeling as awesome. well as I've been in a few commercials. That's great. Um, still trying to break into the film world, but I'm not fully convinced film is for me. It doesn't have that warm, fuzzy mm-hmm. feeling that I get about other things. Um, what else have I been paid for? That's a lot of stuff. That's all I know. Yeah. I don't actually ever sit down and be like, look at all the things I'm doing. Isn't, doesn't it kind of feel it's good. And also maybe even just to think about the things that like with your skill set, you like could be paid for, you know, yeah. or like, like what are the jobs that kind of like are in that wheelhouse? Yeah. Um, I want to know more about your play. Okay. So, um, my play So Plan B Theater Company downtown, um, they are really cool about doing new work. Yeah. So they're very supportive of new playwrights, specifically Utah playwrights. Cool. So one thing that Jerry Rapier, who is um, one of the artistic directors of Plan B, thought of was that we need to have more representation in the theater community here for people Mm -hmm. of color. Jerry himself um, is of color. He's Asian American. And um, he really wanted to give the people in the community a voice who a lot of the time just get overlooked. That's so, I'm so excited about that. I know. It's really fabulous. And so he called together, he kind of put out this invite to all the people he knew or could think of and asked them to invite people to this big meeting that happened. And, um, initially I was like, well, I don't belong in this because my dad is from Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, so technically I am, you know, Latina, uh, and, but I'm very white presenting. Like I really just look like a white person. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I don't know. I'm not sure if I belong here. I feel like I've never dealt with any kind of prejudice because yeah. of the way I look or anything like that. Um, but ultimately I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go because yeah. these are the people I want to be be learning from and hearing from and getting experiences with. So we had a big meeting um, and I unfortunately could only stay for a little bit of it, but everybody kind of went around and talked about their story and what they're interested in, in the arts and things like that. And then a couple of weeks or maybe months later, Jerry announced that he was going to start a playwriting group for people of color 
um, and who was interested. Wow. And I yeah. was like, uh-oh, this is a path that I'm interested in. Yeah. So I immediately signed up. Um, and then it was a course. Oh God, I can't remember how long it was, but it was taught by Julie Jensen, who's a local playwright. Cool. And, um, there was the question of, should she be the person leading this because she is a white woman, yeah. but ultimately like, she's so fantastic. All of us wanted to learn from her. Mm-hmm. We're like, we don't care. Yeah. She's incredible. So we started meeting once a week with her for, I think maybe two months. Cool. I can't remember. And we would, the, the point of the class was to write two 10 minute plays. And from her, we kind of learned about the form and character development and how, you know, what the arc of the story should be in that short of a time frame and all of these things. And so we all wrote our plays and then we had one kind of class finale where we read our, a piece out loud to wow. our friends yeah. and family. And then Jerry announced that he was going to be picking um, four pieces, or maybe it was three, three or four pieces to be read publicly at Plan B. Cool. And a play reading, for those of you who don't know, is just when actors kind of just stand with the script and read the lines and act it out, but there's no staging or costumes or anything. So my play... um, driver's license please got chosen and we had a reading of that which was exciting it was so crazy it's still the scariest thing ever writing is by far the scariest wow and then jerry announced well out of these we're gonna pick some and fully produce them them. wow so then driver's license please got picked again and we just premiered it in march yeah march and um it was crazy. I mean, full costume, full sets, actors. I mean, wow. it was a full thing that was happening. <laughs> How does that feel like adding such a, like a new thing to your, like to your hat, like to yeah. say like, I'm a playwright. Like, does that, how does it feel? It still feels kind of fake at this point. Yeah. I feel like I haven't fully, um, let it sink in yeah. about what that means for me and what that would look like. Yeah. Um, I mean, you did it yeah, though. I like, did it. I feel like having, like having written a play, like having a play that like hasn't been put on. I can, I can imagine like some imposter syndrome about that. Oh God. But, like yeah. you did it. It happened. It was real. Yeah. Like you're a playwright. I know. But see, to me, I think like, oh, a playwright is someone who like has had multiple works performed forever. They're like a pro. This is all they do. And so I'm still going through the imposter syndrome of that. But Jerry has really graciously asked me to write another 10 minute play for a festival called The Rose Exposed, which happens to celebrate all of the different art companies within the Rose Wagner downtown. Sweet. So I'm working on that You're going to have that second one. going to have it. Well, I think like you know, that feeling of like, you know, that jack of all trades feeling. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a really complicated feeling for a lot of artists, but some of us just aren't like one trackers. Yeah, I know. It feels, I feel nervous about like dipping my toes in too many ponds because then I'm like, well, then I'm not good at anything if I'm trying to be good at everything. And I think I just need to get over it because you know what? I'm doing it. I love doing yeah. it. I've gotten positive feedback. And even if I got negative feedback, I mean, fine. 
Yeah. I'm still doing it. <laughs> I kind of feel the same way. I'm, I'm 31 where uh, you've done a lot. You've been a lot more places than I have. Wow. Uh, you ha- I don't know have about like that. a kind of a broad, a broad, maybe more broad experience. Um, but, uh, but I also feel like I'm kind of at this point where I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be like one of those like world experts in like yeah. a thing. It's mm-hmm. just not, I get bored. I'm curious about too many things. Yeah. Um, I think like I'm ultimately the most productive when I like am kind of dabbling in a lot of things, Yeah, which is just, it's again, kind of that reality of like, like you were saying earlier, like this is who I am, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a person who feels and yeah. I'm a person who likes a lot of things. It is devastating though. Like when you realize like, oh, I'm not going to be the most famous opera singer of the modern age or like, oh, I'm not going to be a Broadway star yeah, and allowing yourself to come to terms with that and be like, okay, so yeah. How do you do that? How have you done that? I don't know. Or like, have you, it just happens at a certain point. Yeah. I think you just like sit down one day and you're like, okay, well now I get to redefine what success means Yeah, because success doesn't mean winning a Tony success means someone coming to a show I'm in and like waiting to talk to me after and be like, this show was so powerful. Like yeah. for me, that is more success. I mean, what I turned down a Tony, no, I would not, <laughs> but I think it's, it's just redefining success as you continue yeah. on your journey. Always. Yeah. It's always going to change. Well, I wonder sometimes if like even, you know, the the proverbial Tony or the real Tony, you know, whatever it mm-hmm. is, I think sometimes those things are like, they're not what you think they are anyway. Right. Like winning yeah. that Tony, like, you know, maybe then you have the problem of like, do I feel um, like pigeonholed now? Like, mm-hmm. will people not take me seriously in like other... Yeah. mediums or something like that. And the path to the Tony, like I have friends that live in New York right now that go on multiple auditions every day at like 5 a.m. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, oh, that's why I'm not going to win a Tony because I don't have the personality to yeah. live that life. Yeah. And it's like being a paleontologist. Like, yes, that would have been incredible. But I, yeah. that's not who I am. Totally. I'm not good at that journey. Yeah. I feel the same way. Like, you know, when I, I, so I went to the university of North Texas, which is oh, like a, yeah. a great jazz school. And, uh, so many of my, he's, he's here for you. I know. I love this dog. I'm really excited that bear is down here. <laughs> this I is a brand him. new experience. How old is he? He's seven. <gasps> what a gentle giant. He is a sweet boy. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, Texas. a lot of my friends <clears throat> were moving to New York and And I moved to Utah for like a very specific, my husband was doing a PhD here and Mm -hmm. had like full funding. And so I didn't necessarily like choose Utah, right? but I wouldn't have chosen New York because I, even when I go there on vacation, it stresses me out. Yeah. It's a lot. I'm not, I think I'm, I would either get like too into it and like never sleep I'm like predisposed to that mm-hmm. kind of behavior anyway, a little slight workaholic tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I couldn't be healthy there. I know I wouldn't, I wouldn't have good boundaries. Yeah. So I definitely I, didn't. <laughs> yeah. And then I think it's just like, you know, you have to kind of decide and some of it's maybe like, you know, some of it's your choice, some of it's your personality, some of it's like, who is your family? Where were you raised? Mm-hmm. Um, how much baggage did you have to deal with? Um, and I, 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 I wish that we could all be a little bit more kind of upfront 
about like the fact that we just don't all start in the same place. Yeah. And we don't all have the same, you know, what's kind of easy and effortless for one person just, just isn't. Totally. Yeah. I think that's such a good point. Is there anything else you want to say about like, you know, like what is, what does it mean to you to like feel job security or like, um, any myths that you want to dispel about like, what does it mean to be a working artist in terms of your money? Yeah. So, I mean, if you are a full-time artist, you're never going to be rich. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, unless you're like really the the top players in your field. And I think for me, and this is what I've come to, my conclusion, because we did not grow up wealthy. But I think in another life, I was a very rich person because I constantly am like, why can't I have nice things, you know? And so for me, it really is a struggle because I'm like, I should just go work in the corporate world and make $200,000, you know? Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, that's like soul sucking for me and I would never survive. Yeah. And so I think you just have to be so in love with what you're doing to make it worthwhile because financially it's not going to be worthwhile. Yeah. And that's really hard for me. <laughs> but Mm. I love it too much. Like I would do a show for free and I have done shows for free. And I think it's just such a personal call for what you love versus funding a lifestyle necessarily. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, there are so many myths about being an artist that I couldn't even tackle them all. But I think just remembering if you're not an artist or, I mean, even if you are just remembering that we're all real people, which sounds so stupid to say, but it's so true. I mean, most of us are working nine to five jobs and then we're rehearsing six to 10. Yeah. That leaves an hour break and then you never see your partner. You never see your friends. You don't do anything fun on the weekends because you have rehearsal. I mean, the people who are performing in the shows and doing the art that you go to witness have given up their lives to do what you're seeing. Yeah. I feel like there's like this weird kind of art artist rage that we get when people are like, you're so lucky. Your mm-hmm. job is so fun. Or like my favorite. Oh, I would have loved to have been a singer, but they didn't have a jazz studies major at my school. And I'm like, what, oh. what kind of a weird. So you, I don't think I've gotten that one. Oh my gosh. That one happens to me. All the time. I guess jazz is a little bit more accessible than opera. So I think people are more... I think maybe it's that jazz is more rare in terms of degree programs. Oh, interesting. And so people will be like, well, the school that's next to my parents' house didn't have a program. Oh, And I just think like, well, also, same. Yeah, you also could go somewhere else. I mean, that's privilege talking, but I mean, I think the point you're making is, you know, that's a strange... Yeah. And, thing to and just definitely say. like it's privilege shocking, but also like there were a lot of people at, that I went to school with who like were first generation mm-hmm. college students who were from all around the world, from Korea, from South America, um, like from all over the country who yeah. were like, I want to play the trombone. Yeah. That's and so like, awesome. I f- figured it out and I'll be like, you know, bussing tables to like, eke my way through tuition. Oh my gosh. That's the, those are the stories that make me the saddest when people are like, 
oh, I really wanted to be a singer, but my parents just, you know, said I should be a doctor yeah, and things like that because it always life to quote my favorite movie in life philosophy, life finds a way, <laughs> yeah. you know, Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's, it's so true. I mean, like no route is the perfect route. Yeah. Like everything always just happens. Things yeah. happen and you never know what's going to happen. And it makes me sad when people give up on their dream just yes. because they think it's not like a feasible real thing. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I feel like it's kind of like what I was saying before, where we, we get tunnel vision about the choices we've made and, and throw everything else in the garbage. I think we do it to each other in the arts. Oh yeah. And I think people that aren't in the arts do it to artists oh, so because true. it makes it a little bit less heartbreaking when they consider like, Oh, well maybe I could have done that. Yeah. But if they, if they never present themselves with the possibility that like they could have done it, especially I think like, you know, it's hard to make money as an artist, but like, it's also hard to make money as an English teacher. Right. Oh my God. Or how little just teachers in general are paid when they're the ones inspiring everyone Mm -hmm. to do other things. You know, it's so backwards. Yes. That's a whole other podcast. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, again, like I feel like I have so many reasons for like wanting to have these conversations. One of them is like, I hope that occasionally like you know, young people will listen and then they can tell their parents, like, listen to this. These are real people who are Mm -hmm. doing this and they're just normal people who like, you know, you haven't heard of them. They're just doing their thing. And like, you know, then maybe that will make like a parent or a young person go Mm -hmm. like, maybe I can do it. And if your parents don't want to hear it and don't want to support you, do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel. I I didn't, you know, when I told my parents I was going to major in music, it was they were devastated. Yeah. And I felt like it was common story. a huge drama. Um, but for a lot of, a lot of reasons, like I said to you earlier, I was addicted to saving. And part of that was cause I felt at a young age that I might not have my parents support. Yeah. Um, interesting. And, uh, so I started saving a lot when I was like a teenager even, mm-hmm. um, because I was like, I think I need to get out of here. That's and amazing. that's not Good to say you. that like everybody, could do that. I was lucky to like, you know, I had good schools. I had good teachers. Um, I had train. I had the kind of like teachers that, you know, I had AP classes and I, I was able to get scholarships and things like that. And that is super lucky. Yeah. And I think that's a whole part of the whole check your privilege thing that's happening now that people get so upset about for some reason. But I mean, it's true. Like I was so privileged. I was so lucky to have my parents be like, yes, go to college, be a music major. And there are kids out there who, you know, are fighting to be fed every week, but have this dream of being like a painter. And I think, the the way the art community can make the biggest impact is by giving those people opportunities and realizing like, hey, you were really lucky and you're where you are. So why don't you help other people out instead of just yes. being like, oh, well, I'm a millionaire actress now. You know, yeah. I think the whole arts just needs to be a big hug. And I, I know that's so, so idealistic, but I think that's the whole point of art. I took an ethnomusicology class in college in my in my master's degree. Oh. Um, speaking of highbrow, yes, of um, and and 
it's possible I like have this anecdote a little wrong, but I, I don't think I do. Um, but my, our teacher talked about how in Bali, like in Indonesia and Bali, um, they don't have professional artists there. Like it's hmm. not a thing because everyone is an artist, right? Everyone is an, is like a farmer and like does shadow puppetry. That is so cool. That Isn't is that amazing? Dream. When I, when I, like we had that lesson and like, I hope I'm not like, I hope I'm not misremembering that, but I like, I remember like getting teary and thinking like, why can't we do that? Like, yeah. why can't we have both? Um, and I think that requires like artists to like, not be so mysterious about like, we all know person to person that like, it's not that mysterious, but I think right. sometimes when we're talking to doctors or lawyers, we can mm-hmm. get like a little defensive and feel like, well, this is so important. Yeah, um, for sure. And then, you know, and then doctors and lawyers maybe want to be like, oh, the frivolity. Yeah. And I think that's such an interesting thing. I've seen so many articles recently that have been like, do you want a great salesperson? Hire an actor. Do you want a great accountant? Hire an actor. Like, I think people are starting to understand that artists have so much more to offer than just like, I can paint this room, you know, like I think, oh, I moved the microphone. Um, I think that the skills you learn in the arts are so transferable to literally everything. Mm -hmm. And it really does make, when you're a well-rounded person and you can do that accounting, but you also know how to strategically think about things and think outside of the Mm -hmm. box, Mm -hmm. like you're an unstoppable force at that point, in my opinion. Well, and if maybe you're a person who never wasn't an artist as a child or, you know, you, for whatever reason that wasn't presented to you or made an option, you know, if you start being creative as an adult or even as like an elderly person, Mm -hmm. um, what, how does that, you know, benefit your career at that point? Or how does that benefit your family? Or how does that make you a healthier, you know, more overall, you know, contributing person? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like that kind of like negotiating the balance and maybe those of us that are, that are artists that, you know, can really easily get kind of caught in like a, like a hyper reality or like a, Mm -hmm. or like a, a kind of a fantasy land, you know, maybe we take like investment classes and then like you can spend all your time doing art, but you have a rental property or, you know, like, hell yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. I've been thinking about that recently. Like we, we need a lot of time. Right. Like you said, with all these rehearsals and like your schedule's weird, but you know, passive income, there's gotta be like, (laughs) Oh God, I dream of passive income. And also, you know, in school as an artist, you're not taught, taught like, here's how to do your taxes as an artist yeah, or here's how to market yourself. Like those are the classes that I would have paid a million dollars for, Yeah, you know, cause they send you on your way with a beautiful voice and you're like, uh Oh, I have no, I have no actual like interface to get these skills, like, Mm -hmm. you know, to translate. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's big stuff. It's a bummer. Maybe we'll get there. Yeah. Well, I feel lucky. Like my dad is, my dad's a lawyer and he's like a self-employed lawyer. And so I feel like as much as that's not art, like so much of the reason that I've been like able to like make pretty good money, I think, especially like for a jazz musician, Mm -hmm. um, has been that I watched my dad like 
freaking hustle his business. Yeah. And I disagree. I think being a lawyer is a high form of art. Like the way you have to think strategically about mm-hmm. everything, like, mm-hmm. oh, the witness said this. So now I'm going to redo my questioning to be like, that is some crazy shit. I, I totally agree. I feel like um I listened to this podcast called Girl Boss and oh, uh, nice. Sophia Amoruso, who runs the podcast, she always talks about like business art. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's the same. I, it's just kind of the same thing we're talking about. Like, you can be probably an artist who's pretty non-creative. Yeah. You can also probably be like a non-artist that's pretty creative. Yes. Um, totally agree. Yeah. Which again goes back to like kind of that thought of like what is art and like what are the boundaries on it and if you are like singing a perfect aria, like is that necessarily art? No. Oh God. <laughs> so many truths. Yes. <laughs> Okay. And then the last thing, so, you know, the podcast is called Artifice and I'm so about like, what are our weird, like pretends and Mm -hmm. what are the things and what are our fears and what are the things that we look confident about, but weren't always or aren't now or Mm -hmm. so what do you think about that stuff? Or do you want to start broad and zit narrow or you want me to? Yeah. I mean, I just think it's everywhere. I think you can't have art without artifice. And I think that is because we are such open little peoples um, that it's so easy to be fake. Yeah, I think it's so easy to be like, well, I'm going to go to, you know, this art gallery because I know the painter will be there and I'm going to schmooze them and I'm going to tell them about what I'm doing and then I'm going to write them an email. And then, you know, so it's like this fine line between marketing yourself and also just like trying to be likable. Yeah. And it's such a fine line. And I think inevitably it's going to happen. But I think for me, as I said earlier, like it's, it's about, marketing myself, but in a genuine way. Like if I have a connection with someone, then of course I'm going to keep that in mind in the future, but I'm never seeking out people being like, that's the person I have to connect with. Totally. Because I just don't think that works very well. It doesn't. I think you're right. People can kind of tell when I have students that are kind of like at that tipping point where they're like, they're graduating, they're kind of starting to like, you know, bridge that gap between like, a high-end amateur and like a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll say like, do you have any like people I should get in touch with? Or like, Ugh, and I always yeah. just, I always tell them like, you cannot think about, about it like that. You have to think like, I'll reach out to people and say, here's what I can offer you. Mm-hmm. Like here, I want to introduce myself. This is what I'm great at. If you need a person like this, I'd love to be involved. Also, my favorite question, how can I support you? Yes. I just listened to a podcast about this, Work Life. This is a podcast that I've started listening to. Cool. And they just were talking about how to network without being fake, which is so perfect for what we're talking about. And this one woman was talking about how instead of saying like, oh, what do you do? Or like, who are you? She always opens it up with like, "Um, here's what I do. Do you think that could ever support what you do? Yeah. And just like really making it genuinely about them, not in a fake way. You've got to be interested. Yeah. Like you want to work with people that you, who you're inspired by and say, I'm so inspired by you. I would love the opportunity to work with you. Here are some ways that like I could see myself being helpful to you, Mm -hmm. you know, but also just 
when do you have shows? When do you have gallery openings? Yeah. If you need an assistant, I would, you know, I just, I want to be involved in like the beautiful things that you're making. And that's going to always feel different than like, how can you hire me or like, how can you help me? Like, how is this going to lead to a gig? I just feel like that would be such an exhausting way to live. And I can't imagine that it would like inspire more creativity because you're just always like, who do I need to know? And I mean, you know, those people who literally only reach out to you when they're like, Hey, can I get comps to this? Mm. Or Mm -hmm. like, you know, thing it's so obvious. And so I feel like it really, that line of artifice is so thin, Mm. but I think as we've said, you know, working on yourself is all you can do. Mm -hmm. And when you become genuinely interested in other people and their work, then doors will open because they know that you're a genuine person and want to work with you. Totally. What do you think about like how it relates to like the public? Yeah. I think what we were saying about the pedestal, you know, I think when people go to see a play, um, I'll use my boyfriend, for example. So he, before he met me, he didn't really go to a lot of plays or, you know, operas or anything like that. And so for him, sometimes it's really interesting because he'll say, oh, well, that wouldn't happen in real life. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. It it wouldn't. And so I think a lot of audiences fall into two categories, which is, I want something unrealistic and fun because it's entertainment and I don't want to feel sad. I want something happy Disney. Mm. Or I think people fall into the category of, I want realism. I want to know how this affects my everyday life. Mm. Like this story is about my community and things like that. And of course I'm generalizing, but I feel like, you know, to use a Salt Lake example, we have like a hail theater crowd and then we have like a plan B Salt Lake acting company crowd who are like, I want new in your face works. And so I think the artifice of that is totally personal with who your audience is because for me, my opinion, if I get cast as Ariel in The Little Mermaid, like that is so much more artifice than if I'm playing um, the sister of a war vet and he comes home and I have a bunch of shit I need to say to him. Yeah. You know, so for me, the level of artifice, I think, kind of can be a choice. for an artist. Like I could choose to only audition to be in Little Mermaid and things like that. And maybe that's what would really fulfill me, like bringing that excitement and joy. But for me personally, I feel like so much of the theater I like to do has such a thin layer of artifice. Like it barely exists because it is so real. Like that's the kind of theater that I want to see. Yeah. I feel the same way with like, you know, if you listen to like Billie Holiday and like kind of how she changed like vocal music. It was, it's almost a monologue. Mm. It's so near. Um, and you know, like it's the same volume because there's a microphone. It's the same volume as like, I, you know, she has this song don't explain, which is like, I think she wrote it. I hope this is going to be embarrassing if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure she wrote it. (laughs) And it's based on like, you know, her husband, comes home and has like lipstick on his collar and she's like, don't explain. And you know that again, same thing. It's like so real, like Mm -hmm. where when she's singing these words, they rhyme, but it's like such a thin, yes, it's such a like, um, 
yeah, there's like a writer who wrote about her and said like, it's, it's as intimate as like your best girlfriend seated next to you at your favorite bar. And that's the great thing about art is that there is such a broad menu for everyone Mm -hmm. there. I think honestly, there are people who don't want to feel anything but joy at a theater. And guess what? There's a lot of stuff for you out there. But then the people who are seeking deeper meaning and want things like that, there's plenty for them too. So that is the cool thing is that you can pick the level of artifice that you want to experience. Do you ever think that like, sometimes I think about this, this like, you know, masks or like artifice idea Mm -hmm. as being like, you know, we, we sometimes try on costumes like in our actual jobs. Right. But I think also like sometimes you need to try on a different type of a role or a different type of yes. speech or a different type of a skill set in order to learn how to do it. Oh, yeah. And I and I know sometimes I feel very complicated about that. And sometimes I think like, well, I can't do that. And then I think like, yes, I can. And not only can I, but like I really should. And yeah. like sometimes we need to like, step into a certain level of like pretend in order to like become a new thing. Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, there's that quote that I'm going to butcher, but it's like, if your dreams don't scare you, you're not dreaming big enough or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I think that's so true. I mean, for me, every opportunity I've gotten has felt for the most part, like a big stretch, like, like kind of a, who do you think you are? Yes. Like right now I'm getting ready to do a reading with an Irish accent and that's hard. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So I watch a lot of YouTube and, you know, or like when I was in spam a lot, like I essentially taught myself how to mix because I was like, I want to do that part. Yeah. That's a great part. Hilarious. Or, you know, the first time I auditioned for just a straight play, having yeah. had only opera background. Yeah. I mean, everything that I've pushed myself to do or writing a play, like God knows I was like, this is going to be a shit show. But everything I've pushed myself to do has paid off. Yeah. Does that mean I'm 100% successful? No, yeah. but it means that I've gained a skill or gotten something out of it that's just going to lead to something else. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that feeling of like, who do you think you are is like really horrifying to me. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's a personal like button pusher for me, mm-hmm. but I think like I'm, I'm getting better the older I get it. Just feeling like, I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, I sure hope that I'm not today who I'm, I mean, I'm not 10 years from now, the person that I am today. Yeah. So what that means is like by like these small degrees, like I'm kind of always in some ways like not being who I am. Yeah. Because totally. that's very stagnant, you know? Yeah. Like in some way, like you you maybe need to step into like a brand new pair of shoes like every year or every day or every decade, mm-hmm. you know, keep your comfort zone like real wiggly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's cool. a challenge. Yeah. I like talking to you. I like talking to you too. <laughs> I feel like we're on the same page about We're things. like the same age and like... <laughs> we get it. There's something about... I think there's something about like the crossroads of like the age and the time mm-hmm. that's very immediate. Like I find a lot of, and maybe also like a little female perhaps, mm-hmm. but I find a lot of my friends like having conversations that like, I feel like older people and younger people are like, I don't get why this is a problem. Mm. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, my sister is 27. Um, and even just the five year, like age difference, the things that they, that are just the norm for them that we've had to be like, 
oh, okay, so we need to like learn pronouns for different people now. Okay, I'm on board with yeah. this. Like, let me let me get used to this. Yeah. But with them, they're like, yeah, of course. Like, I yeah. know this one amazing little girl who was, I think she was like six at the time, who was like, oh yeah, I'm bi. You know, my friend is bi too, but like we don't, it's not a big deal. And I'm like, you just are like that's so <laughs> yeah. cool and mm-hmm. i feel like things just especially now are changing so fast well, even just like when we were like we didn't have the internet in my house till i was like 16 oh yeah dial up had to ask for the password it was like a whole thing i had thing. to like sometimes go to the public library Ditto. if i needed to do homework quickly mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that is something that yeah like you said even just a few years younger it's not an issue no. and like you know i've i've been thinking i had like a pretty intense therapy sesh today Ooh, good i love those <laughs> yeah. i love therapy yeah they're good and bad people are like was that like did that does it like, do you feel better? And I'm like, no. You're like, listen. It's like physical therapy. Like, yeah. it breaks you. And then, like, a week later, you're like, oh, okay. I know. Oh, God, it's so true. Um, But uh, what was I going to say? It's possible I just sincerely forgot entirely what I was going to say. But you had an intense therapy sesh. Oh, I know. I know what it is. Okay. Um, I posted this essay on online, like, on my blog, but then I shared it on Facebook about my mom. Um, Mm. she was like really abusive. She was a narcissist. Mm. It was very like covert. Very few people knew. Like when I, when I posted the thing, there were like a couple people that were like, Oh, interesting. Um, but I, I just heard from my, um, well, it doesn't matter, but uh, someone that like several of my family members, like said, like social media isn't really the place to share that. Oh, and I feel so like, I get where you're coming from, mm-hmm. but no, like, yeah, it's a weird thing to navigate. I feel so torn about it because I love being open about everything. Yeah. Well, so, it's that art thing. Yeah. So part of me is like, I'm going to talk about fat shaming and I'm going to talk about being a plus size woman. And I want to talk about all these things. But then the second it comes to like recycling memes about political things, I'm like, this is not what I want to see on Facebook, (laughs) but also like, who's to say, you know? So social media for me is such a strange thing. I don't get it. I I just try to keep it fun on my end at least. Well, and then I think like, would you rather have me write a book? Mm -hmm. Like, cause it's going to be public some way. Cause that's, that's my job. That's what yeah. I do, you know? Yeah. So I, but I feel like that's so generational too. Like we're right on the cusp of like, are we open? Are we not? I know. What should we be ashamed about? What's not acceptable? I know. The thing that blows me away that I wish I had had the confidence of is like, you know, just a few years younger, people have their friends like just do photo shoots for them yeah. everywhere in yeah. front of walls just because. Yeah. And then they're like, here's a picture of me. I look really good in it. And yeah. I'm like, oh shit. You're allowed to do that? Whereas, Is that what like, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Like you can just do that. Yeah. Whereas I feel like our generation, like when we post a selfie, we'd be like, LOL, I don't know. Like maybe a <laughs> selfie. <laughs> you know, just like so, so right. awkward. Oh my gosh. So that's so everything, true. I'm excited to see where art goes, honestly. Yeah. I'm I, really excited. I think there's a very good chance that it's going to, it will kind of be like everyone's, everyone's doing it a little. Yeah. I don't you so. think that's, it's like, I think so. Just even the way that like people are doing makeup, like just being creative. And I, I remember like seeing like some pictures of like Amy Winehouse when I was in like junior high 
and like starting to like take my eyeliner like Mm -hmm. out farther than my eye yeah and like winged eyeliner wasn't like acceptable for 12 year olds back then (laughs) yes and I remember like doing it and having people just be like why is your eyeliner like that like oh my god are you trying to look slutty and I can't even imagine like people wear whatever I know it's awesome I know. I think it's going to be really interesting for the art sphere in works like Taming of the Shrew and Carousel and like mm-hmm. themes mm-hmm. and shows that are so misogynistic and outdated yeah. and what happens to them. I'm really interested to see what happens there. I hadn't even thought about that. Hmm. Rewrites. I can't imagine the younger generation is going to be like, yes, let me go pay to watch this woman be abused in a musical. There will probably be like role reversals like everything will get like Hamilton it already is starting to be that way which is really interesting but I think it'll probably even go further that's a very exciting thought I know okay Okay. anything else you want to tell us about what you're working on and then well yeah okay that first anything you're excited about now what should we be like looking for (gasps) okay well if you do want to come to the rose exposed that my play will be premiering at, just go to Plan B Theater Company's website. Um, You can just Google that. And then um, I'll probably be auditioning for some things coming up. And um, one thing I'm really excited about is I just started a brand new young professionals group for the symphony and opera. Wow. So if you love classical music or just love social activities with people who are really passionate about the arts, go to usuo.org slash upbeat and find out more. It's really exciting. Awesome. Okay. I want to ask for like your handles and stuff, but first what's your dream collaboration? (gasps) Oh my God. Sky's limit. You can involve people who are living, people who are dead. There's no money problems. Oh my God. You can multimedia. God, that is such a good question. I am obsessed with Fred Armisen and Steve Carell so much. Fred I Armisen love is a magical human being. I, uh, I can't. Also, Melissa McCarthy, I'm obsessed with her. I think she just is doing so much for women yeah. in comedy who are plus size. Um, and I hate to categorize her that way, but I mean, so many people just don't give... Like, we had Chris yeah. Farley, but we can't have overweight women, you know? So I think she's just so hysterical. I just love her style so much. Um, Oh my God, I don't know. That's so much to think about, but (laughs) I think those are the first things that come to mind for sure. I don't know. Have Fred Armisen and Melissa McCarthy been in anything together? I don't know. My first instinct is to say no, but I don't know that for sure. But like, this is my dream, a movie Starring me, Fred Armisen, and Steve Carell. That's like my dream life. That sounds great. I would great. be really happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, start writing something. <clears throat> okay, great. And I'll then, get on that. you know, it's there. I know, putting it's it out on in the, the universe. vision board and stuff. Yes. Okay, and what are your handles and website or things? Okay, well, I don't even know. <laughs> I think I would have to check my phone. Um, I think. Yes. Okay. I think my Instagram handle is at Ocustodi, C-U-S-T-O-D-I. Okay. Um, and I don't really post that 
much cool stuff, but it's me. So you can like come check it out. Um, I don't have a website. I'm working on that. Um, I'm yeah. If anyone wants to design my website, let me know. (laughs) I have thoughts about it. Okay. I'll tell you offline. Yes. Um, and yeah, I don't understand Twitter, so I'm not on that. I also, I'm trying, I don't get it. I don't, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so worried that if I try, I'll like commit some faux pas. I know. And, and like do something very embarrassing. I know. It's so strange. I tried Snapchat for a while too, but then I was like, I "Mm." know I'm not cut out for that. Yeah. Too much. Um, But you can find me on Facebook. Um, message me if you want to be friends. I don't like just accepting like people, you know, randomly, but it's like, fine. Just message me. But you check your other messages box. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But mainly Instagram is a great place. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was the best. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our music is by Jerem Hansen and artwork by Savannah Kiniston. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.